very good morning to all who are present here as well as to very friends who are dialing in today virtually. Um, it's good to see so many here and um, I'm thankful for to be given the opportunity to share God's word. The title, as you can see on the screen, is What if Solomon wrote us a letter? I, I must say that this is quite a challenging title. In the sense that, you know, the education ministry requires me to put myself in the shoe of King Solomon. Uh, what would he have to say today if he were to write us a letter? You know, it, it, it requires for me to go beyond stepping into Solomon's shoe. It requires for the teacher, preacher, to be able to read the mind of King Solomon. But we can't do that, isn't it? Yeah, so another way, another aspect of uh, trying to figure out what he would write to us would be, a good way would be to interview him and, and, and ask him himself. But then again, that is not possible because Solomon is not with us here today. So, any, any uh, attempt to speculate what Solomon would write would be at best, you know, a guess. And I think it will not do him any favor or us as well, the listeners. Uh, I would fall far short of the expectation. After all, King Solomon is, you know, we, we know he's the wisest man that ever lived in his time, before his time, as well as today. Um, and, and I, who am I to try to figure out what the wisest man would have to say to us? You know, he has written three books. He has written the book of uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. If he were to write to us today, would he write differently? Would he share with us new wisdom, new knowledge, new purpose of life? Especially in today's, uh, we, we like to think that we are technologically more advanced, more sophisticated than the world that we live in, you know, it's modern. Right? Would his wisdom that he shared with us in, in, in his three books apply to us today, or would it be very different? The, I, I, I think that the best I can do to address the, the, the possibility of us, an epistle that comes from Solomon would be to think, right? maybe to paraphrase the topic title, what would I think Solomon would write? if he were to write to us today. That means, having studied his writings, right? having understood a mind of someone who is blessed beyond any other by God, what would I think? I know that it will still be far short of what Solomon would personally write himself, but at least you get to, to understand that I'm not trying to be too smart, as in trying to put words in Solomon's you know, uh, mouth, but rather to try to understand what, what his teachings are, and perhaps, you know, through the understanding of his teaching, we could gather some wisdom from it that can be applied today in today's situation. Yeah. And fortunately, fortunately for us, 
at least in the start of you know his uh, his writing in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter one, he he did tell us that the things that happened in the past, right, human nature has not changed. It is still applicable today to us. To a large extent, the larger perspective of life, human nature has remained and will always remain the same. So the scripture reading as read by Brother Hai just a while ago from Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 9 to 10. Solomon says that that which has been, I mean that which, that which was, that happened in the past is what will be, right? What will happen today. That which is done, that which is already done in the past is what will be done even in this time or in the time to come. And Solomon says that there is nothing really new under the sun. There is nothing really new on earth. Is there anything which it may be said, see, this is new. Solomon adds that it has been in ancient time. In the time before Solomon, right, in ancient time, and in the time of his day, and I believe it, it also applied to us today, to say that there is nothing new under the sun means that there is nothing new on earth. It does not ignore the, you know, the inventions or the advances of technology. Rather, that these innovations doesn't change anything about life as, as it should be on earth. So the, the, the idea is that we look into the writings of King Solomon. And from there, and the wisdom that are contained therein, right, see if Solomon would be able to apply his wisdom to our current situation. Because we know that the Word of God is alive and active, isn't it? And Solomon's writings are inspired by God. So if it is applicable in his time, it should also be applicable to us today. Yeah? The setting may be different. We may live in a more sophisticated life, obsessed with you know, ready material things around us, whatever we want, at a speed, you know, at a fast speed, at an instance, they are available to us. Yeah? And information is readily also available. But ultimately, the issues of life are very similar. Whether it is pleasure, whether it is suffering, whether it is wealth, whether it is power, knowledge, wisdom, anything about human issues, the meaning of life, the vanity of life, achievements of failures, the scripture tells us that what has already been, what is, has already been, and what will be, has been before. And so Solomon added to Ecclesiastes 9.10 by saying that what you see today has happened to us in the past. And what will happen in the future, in time to come, that also has been done. Yeah. And so I, I think that if we can take a glimpse at the writings of King Solomon, right, especially from the book of Ecclesiastes, we'll see that it's as relevant today as it was in his time. Let's start by, by looking at his writing. King Solomon, 
He spent much of his life on four matters. And I believe that they are still the same. They're still applicable. They're still pursued by people of the world today. We invest a lot of our time on. And there is pleasure, there is wisdom and knowledge, there is work and money as well as wealth. Let's look at the first part, the pursuit of pleasure. You know, we know, we, we understand that the economy of the world thrives on selling pleasurable pursuits, whether it is in the form of lifestyle, in the form of food, luxury items, material, branded material things, possessions, entertainment, travel. We all seek after things that are beautiful to the eyes and to the flesh. You know, one motto of a golf and country club that I once belonged to, right? They use this phrase, life is to be enjoyed. It's pleasurable to participate, you know, in the activities of that club. Yes, it's true. You know, in fact, life, in a way, life does offer a fair portion of enjoyment. And we do have many reasons to celebrate life and what it offers us. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, he said, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. God has given us a gift, right? Whatever we have labored, God has given to us the opportunity, opportunity to enjoy the fruits of our labor. And so we can eat and drink and enjoy the good from our labor. And this statement is repeated in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18 to 19. Right? Solomon says, It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of his labor, in which he toys under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him. It is his heritage. As for every man, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it. When we say power to eat of it, it's not just to consume physically as in feeding our mouth. I think it's power to enjoy, right? Uh, of course, li literally, uh, we, when we seek, see sick people, uh, they, they even do not enjoy uh, or not able to take some of the simple food or, or, or you know, uh, drinks that they are available to, to us, let alone enjoy the riches that you know they have earned, you know, all, 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 all through his labor. But basically, I think it is God has given us riches and wealth, right? And given us the opportunity, the power to, to enjoy it all, to receive his heritage, to rejoice in, in, in one's labor. For all of this is the gift of God. Solomon knows full well. He knows very well what pleasure is, you know, concerning the, the ability to enjoy. He chased after it and had his field. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, he said to himself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. So, Solomon, you know, he really knows how to take advantage of what God has blessed him with. 
He had the resources, he had the time, he has the money, the influence to lay his hands on whatever his heart desired. Nothing was out of his reach. In verse 3, he explored how to stimulate his body with wine. He lived in luxury. In verse 4 to 6, he enlarged his work. He built houses for himself, vineyards, gardens, parks. He had ponds to landscape the garden and to irrigate his orchard. He had many male and female slaves and even slaves born in, in his house. Large possession of flocks and herds. Larger than all who were before him in Jerusalem. He collected for himself. He had plenty of silver, gold and treasures from provinces, from kings. And he provided for himself entertainment, male, female singers, all the pleasures that, the, that people seek, including concubines. His life was one of living to the fullest. In verse 10, he says that all that my eyes desire, and did not refuse them, I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because all my labor, because of all my labor, and this was the reward that I get from my labor. Clearly, he had an abundance of things and pleasures, and he withheld nothing from himself. You may say, what a blast he had, isn't it? He gave himself completely over to the pursuit of pleasure. 700 wives. 300 concubines. And because he knows and he has experienced what pleasure is all about, what it offers, and what benefits that he can derive from them, he writes about his exploitation and the outcome. I think we do well to listen to Solomon, isn't it? Solomon calls such, you know, enjoyment, vanity of vanities, all his vanities. He writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11, All my activities which my hand has done and the labor which I have exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind. There was no profit under the sun. The pursuit of pleasure is vanity. They are impermanent. We cannot hold on to them. It is like in, in this translation, it's striving after the wind. In the New Kingdom translation, it is grasping for the wind. You know what, what that means, right? When you try to strive, you try to chase after the wind. No one can outrun the wind. It, it, it goes in the direction that it wants to as fast as it desires to. You know? No one can lay hold of the wind or to catch hold of the wind. Right? They will escape our grabs. No gain. In the pursuit of such pleasure or the satisfaction from it, he was left dissatisfied at the end of his search as he was in the beginning. And, and today, society likewise chased after similar pleasure, thinking that he was satisfied. Every form of entertainment, the best that life can offer, the clothes, the food, 
manufacture items, modern conveniences. But at the end, it only leaves us wanting more if our perspective is wrong. Actually, whether we realize or not, every one of us, each of us, or most of us are at least engaged in the quest for something to meet the heart desire. Until perhaps, you know, we become the wiser after having experienced Perhaps not to the extent as Solomon, but quite close. When Solomon was old, he realized that all these are meaningless, vanity. The beauty that lies for just a little while. And Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 17, he says, Therefore, having experienced everything, I hated my life. I know most of us will give anything to have his life. You know, or rather, some of us will think that his life is... One of, you know, filled with a lot of fun, a lot of uh, pleasure, a lot of uh, enjoyment. Solomon said, I hated my life because the works that was done under the sun was distressing to me. I, the work that we do, I'm sure those of us who work hard, we do feel the stress. Yeah? But that is because we work to perhaps put food on the table. And we, 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 we know we have been taught many times about you know, value and, and, and we do what is necessary. But Solomon, Solomon do more than that. You know. he, he already had, had plenty and he was not enough. He wants more and more and, and you can feel the kind of stress that he would you know, uh, accumulate from doing so. It was distressing to him. So his experience was one that slowly moved to dislike. The word he used is hated because he found that it is empty. He was disappointed, disillusioned, and lost. The return from, of pleasure was diminishing. For all the effort he made to enjoy life, he sank deeper into despair. And he says that I turned about. I changed my mind. I gave my heart up to despair. Because of the helplessness and the hollowness of fleeting pleasure. In the end, you know, he was in despair. And, and in, in some of his writing, you'll, you'll hear him say that even I consider mad, laughter as madness. He had it all, but he found no profit, no gain, no enjoyment from having them, for they accomplished nothing. He does not profit him. And so the same message can be given to us today. It is good to enjoy life. God has given that for us, to us, his creation, to enjoy in a wholesome way. But the caveat is, be reasonable. Never allow our life to be consumed with insatiable desire for more and more pleasures. No matter how careful we are if to pursue life and pleasure, Solomon tells us that it will end in the dust of death. So, if Solomon were to write to us today on the matter of pleasure, I think, I think that he will tell us to learn from his mistake. Excesses of pleasures hurt 
rather than profit. In Solomon's case, his wives, his concubines caused him to be distracted. They led him astray. He turned his heart after other gods. The prophet Jeremiah in 1 Kings 11, verse 4 says that for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. His life began on a sure footing, strong foundation. He showed sincere desire to please God he was delighted in the worship of God. In building the temple, he shows devoutness. However, he faltered, faltered, and in the process, he hurt himself. God was not happy with him. And his kingdom will be taken away from him when, when he died, away from his son after his death. So if Solomon were to write to us today, I think he will probably share with us this advice not to follow his footsteps, not to follow his pursuit of pleasure without restraint, that there is no profit in life's impermanent pleasure. And like vanity, in chasing after the wind, they will slip away and they will escape our hole. Next, what does Solomon put a lot of time and attention to or on? He wanted knowledge and wisdom. Actually, God has given him what he asked, right? Which was a discerning heart, the ability to discern between right and wrong evil to govern the people under his care. And God gave him that wisdom and beyond which wealth and honor. A long life if he were to stay faithful to God. In 1 Kings 3, verse 12 to 13, right, God spoke to him. Now he had a dream, a vision, right? God says that I have done according to your word. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has, been, there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. He was going to be the wisest of all men. In his time, before his time, and after his time. And not only that, he says, I have also given you what you have not asked. God was pleased with him in the beginning, isn't it? Because Solomon asked for wisdom to be able to govern the people. And so God says, I've given you both riches and honor so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. During his time, he will be the richest man and the most honored of all. Today, of course, we do not know whether Solomon remains to be the richest that ever lived, right? We, some people speculate about his wealth, that he is still the richest, but really, you know, the value of money has changed, right? It's hard for us to place, right? His wealth is a lot, yes. Yeah, he had plenty of gold, plenty of silver, and, and, and later on I'll share with you uh, yearly how much gold he, 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 he was given by the people around as well as the taxes that he received and the people that come from afar. God told Solomon, in addition to just wisdom to honor and 
and wealth are given you one more thing. But there's a condition to it. He says, if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, your father David walk, then I will lengthen your days. God says that he will give him long life on the provision that Solomon remained faithful. Wisdom and knowledge, we know they are very closely related. The Oxford Dictionary defines wisdom as the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. I would think that knowledge comes from learning, from studying, right? Uh, learning from what you read as well as the experiences of others, the wisdom, the advice that others give to you, and your personal experience. And having all these experiences and knowledge, then you use it wisely right, in order to come to make a decision. So in a way, I, I would perhaps define wisdom as the right application of knowledge. And throughout, throughout Solomon's book, you know, the book of Proverbs, Solomon writes concerning the value of knowledge and wisdom. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The wise and the prudent man seeks after knowledge. In Proverbs 18, verse 15, the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Solomon was given knowledge and wisdom to deal with matters of the kingdom and of life itself. He valued them so much. And he pursued it throughout his life. He started everything that was available in the world at that time. And I'm sure if he's around today, he will continue to seek after knowledge. I, I, I was trying to put myself you know, in a, in, in a situation where what would Solomon be sharing with us if he's around today? I would say that I, if I have the opportunity to listen to him, I will be mesmerized. Some of us may have, you know, attended public seminar, good motivational speakers. Some of us may have the opportunity to have a private session with someone who is knowledgeable, wise, you know. Like I had last time when, when I often visited my headmaster's house, he, he took some of us under his care. And he shared with us a lot of, a lot of wisdom in it, and, and, and we were all. The Queen of Sheba, she was exactly that, you know. She traveled to listen to King Solomon. And he, she was mesmerized by his wisdom and his knowledge and completely flopped over. Throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon extolled the benefit and the importance of this virtue, knowledge and wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 to 8, he says that wisdom is the principal thing. It's the most important thing. It's the thing that matters. Get wisdom. In all you're getting, if you want to acquire, you know, something, acquire knowledge, get understanding, exalt her, and she will promote you. She'll bring you honor when you embrace her. Figurative terms describing the importance of having the right understanding and knowledge and the application of it. And when you have that, she will place 
on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. They should be delivered to you. Proverbs 4, 7-9 Wisdom confers honour, promotion, grace and glory. And on top of that, he added other benefits that wisdom can bring, especially God's wisdom. He says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, joyful is the person who finds wisdom. So some of these additional benefits is joyful, joyfulness. Wisdom is more profitable, more profitable than precious metal, than silver and better than gold. More precious than rubies. Nothing that you desire is comparable with her. Wisdom offers you long life. Long life, long, long life on the right hand, riches and honor in the left. She will guide you down delightful paths, and all your ways will be satisfying. It is like a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. Those of us who, who, who uh, read the book of James will remember that James agreed that wisdom is good, isn't it? He encourages those who do not have wisdom to ask for it from God. And he says, you know, God will give you liberally without reproach if you only lack ask of God and it will be given to you. James chapter 1 verse 5. And having it all, at the end of the day, Solomon made three discoveries. Right? Having wisdom and knowledge. This is what he says. He says that there is no remembrance of the wise and of the fool. They will all be forgotten, especially in the days to come. And how does the wise die? No different from the fool. What a revelation. The bottom line is we all will meet our appointed day, we will die. There is no respecter of men. Whether we are rich or poor, wise or foolish, strong or weak, we all have to face death. Not only, not only do the wise and the foolish die, they are forgotten. Given enough time, both are swallowed up in history and their lives and their memory will be extinguished. And this realization drives Solomon to despair. He says that in much wisdom is also much grief. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You know what Solomon has discovered? He says that the human wisdom alone does not answer the problems of life. The many questions that comes from situations in life. Once you know a little bit more, once you understand the problem with humanity and life on earth, you will feel grief as well as sorrow. We with all our PhDs cannot have the solution or the answer to all of life's profound problems. And Solomon said in his heart, he says, as it happened to the fool, it also happened to me. 
And why do I consider myself more wise? And so he told himself, he says, this is also vanity. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 15. At the end of the day, Solomon found wisdom to be vanity. Good for the moment. Something that is appreciated and admired for a time. But then it's valuable. Especially to the person. Right? When his life is coming to the end, at the end of the day, how much do, will all the wisdom give to him? He says in the, in the translation in King NIV translation, he says it's meaningless. And in the New American Standard Version, it is futile. Here in Malaysia, we read you know, in the press of a high number of first-class degree holders Masters, PhD graduates in the thousands being produced yearly by our universities, most like a factory line. The quest for knowledge, the advancement of knowledge and wisdom is the same now as it was in the Old Testament time. At the end of Solomon's reign, Israel became spiritually bankrupt. Strife was everywhere. He falls, his kingdom fall into disarray. Within a year of Solomon's death, the land was divided into two kingdoms. And the course of history, of Israel's history, was permanently altered. Solomon, with his wisdom, did not exercise wisdom in his own life. He lived in excesses and he forsook God. So much so that he did not enjoy the old life, the long life that God promised him in the beginning. Because he did not remain faithful, and that was taken away from him. Bible scholar estimates that Solomon lived about, you know, at the time of his death, it was about sixty to eighty years of age. Certainly, by by his standard, by the standard of his time, even perhaps in our time today, that is not long life. Right? He could have lived much longer. So if Solomon were to write to us on this matter today, I believe that he will tell us this, you know, he will tell us to seek a fair measure of wisdom and knowledge, but not to make that our own. He will most likely share with pride that God has blessed him with much. He has enjoyed honor beyond comparison, wealth, status, power, everything that his heart desired. So much so that he became overconfident and think that these were, you know, earned by him, forgetting that God was the one that gave him those honor. And he was distracted because he wanted to please people around him. He wanted to please his many wives. And so he served his, the idols in his wife, including the foreign idols, the foreign small gods. He will probably say to us, do not be like me, not using the wisdom that I have in dealing with my affairs wisely. I was, you know, people say I'm wise, but perhaps I was actually foolish in my pursuit of knowledge and wisdom when I had them all along. And, and if I exercised those wisdom that I had, maybe I would have lived differently. God has blessed me with so much, yet I was not satisfied. And I regret my action. Perhaps a little bit too late. 
and his concluding remark in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says, and it remains relevant. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. At the end of the day, after having experienced all the pleasures and the knowledge and the wisdom, honor and everything that God has conferred upon him, he says, you know what? At the end of the day, what is most important? The conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandment. For this is man's all. This is man's duty. Let's look at Solomon's pursuit of work. Now, we all understand the importance of work, isn't it? There's a need for us to work because we need to provide for our family. The scripture says that if one does not provide for his family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Today, work often takes center stage in a person's life. From young, the child is prepared for his or her future career. And the hard work began at a very young age at school. And it doesn't stop when we graduate. In many ways, society defines a person by his work. We are often asked when we meet someone new, isn't it? What is our occupation or what do we do? We know that work is necessary because we need to put, bring home money, right? And, and, and feed our family. And the, 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 what we bring, what we are able to earn will dictate the lifestyle that we have. Those who are more successful live a more comfortable life. Sometimes the diligent worker is carried away by the demands of work and then they become misdirected. He or she becomes overcommitted to the job that he has to the extent that the family and the service to the church suffers. The more successful one becomes, the less time the individual has for other things that matter, whether it be physical or spiritual. Solomon's, Solomon's writings express how devoted he was to his work. He was the master builder. He built a temple and it was a architectural marvel at his time. He built palaces, he built fortresses, houses for himself, great works, gardens, orchards, water pools. His stable alone has 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots. And you can read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 25. He conquered nations. He was brilliant and by world standard extremely successful. Today, people continue to invest their lives in their job, in their businesses. Yes, we should do a great job at whatever we do. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, he says that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your mind. We, we think of another statement we, we, we Relating to the work of hand, isn't it? That's from Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. He says, Whatever you seek to do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. When you consider doing it heartily unto the Lord, is doing it with all your might to the best ability that you can, knowing that you know you're serving God. God has given us talents to 
do certain things. And to do it well, we must not allow our jobs to become more important than God or to sacrifice our marriage or the family. Solomon did. He spent his days building his kingdom. But it was a kingdom that does not last. The kingdom that he built was divided on his death. And his family became dysfunctional. Very early in his writing, he asked this question, what profits what profit has a man from all his labor in which he toiled under the sun? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3, what profit has a man from his labor? And he answered it himself. So in a way, I would say that it's a rhetorical question. You know, He says in verse 14, I have seen all the works that are under the sun and indeed all his vanity and grasping for the wind. In chapter 2, Solomon writes of three things that went wrong with his overcommitment to work. He says, I look at the works of my hand and the labor which I have put in, and indeed all vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Verse 11, he says, Then I hated my labor in which I toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will rule over all my labor, yet he will benefit, he will enjoy the fruits of my labor in which I toil, in which I have put in, in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. So when he worked so hard, he thought he's wise. He thought he's accumulating wealth for, you know, his, his accumulating recognition. He's, he's being able to put, to play his wisdom. And then he says that this also is vanity. I hated my labor, labor because I won't be around to enjoy it for long. Someone else is going to come and benefit from it all. And then he says, what do people get from all these efforts? All this anxious striving. All their days they, of their work, they will be grief and pain. And at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless or vanity. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22 to 23. So if Solomon were to write to us today, I think that he will ask us to commit our work to the Lord and our plans will be established as he wrote in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. He will remind us that there is nothing better for people, for us, than to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in our work. But to remember, to recognize that this ability to find enjoyment comes from God. No one can eat or drink or experience joy apart from Him. The Christian joy is rarely a product or the result of career, of uh, success or ability. Yes, they may bring you some short-term and pleasure, happiness. The satisfaction that most of us have or seek can only be found in a close relationship with God. Right? For us to recognize as 
Solomon says, this ability to enjoy comes from God. For apart from Him, we are nothing. There is no hope and there will be no permanent or lasting enjoyment of joy. And finally, he will remind us that the work that we do will enter into judgment, whether the work is good or bad. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 14, God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether they be good or bad. So it's important for us to have the right perspective of work. To seek a balance with all our other responsibilities in life and not to neglect our spiritual obligations as well. I covered three, right? Pleasure, knowledge, wisdom, and work. Let's go to the final one, which is money or wealth. And we all know the importance of money in our life. With it, we provide for ourselves, for our family, and we glorify God, right? We can give to the God. Uh, to God. We work to earn a living and by earning a living, we are saying that we put food on the table, money so that we can provide for our family to live a good life. The world measures success using money as a measure of, as a measurement. The financial health of a company and indeed of the nation is measured by how much it earns each year. And that is in, measured in the form of money. And there's a saying that money makes the world go round, right? Money is essential for all transactions. It is not bad in and of itself. In fact, money can be used for good. But money can, become, can easily become the chief competitor of our heart. Money will never satisfy, right? You have never heard someone who says that I have enough money. And this is where the problem lies. Our insatiable quest for more and more. In fact, our, our faith, our belief in God, our, you know, our uh, loyalty to God and the strength of our faith should not be based on money alone. Right? We should recognize that money comes from God. In whatever circumstances, situation that we are in, right, our faith should remain as strong. We cannot serve money and God at the same time. Jesus himself tells us that we cannot serve two masters, right? For either we will hate the one or love the other, or we will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, and mammon represents money. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. If we do not have the right perspective of money, we can become obsessed with it, and we allow money to control us. Solomon writes, he said, I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. God gives men wealth, possession, and honor, so that we lack nothing that our heart desires. But God does not enable us to enjoy them, and a stranger enjoy them instead. And this is meaningless. This is grievous evil. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 1 to 2. All the money that we amass, accumulate, we cannot take with us. And all of these things are temporary in nature. Solomon teaches that one who loves money will not be satisfied with money, 
and one who loves abundance with his income. This too is futility. Loving money is a dangerous thing. This famous scripture, right? The love of money, the root of all evil. And some people spend their entire life chasing after more and more money, thinking that it will bring them satisfaction, only to discover that it is elusive. They end up miserable. And towards the end of their life, the regret weighs upon them. All the money that they have will not buy them the missing years with their family and the health that is failing them. If Solomon were to write to us today, I believe that he would tell us to seek God and His righteousness first. He would remind us that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And the Lord does not add any sorrow with it. Perhaps Solomon will say that he prospered, but the happiness and the satisfaction he sought was shortly. He had silver, he had gold. Right? Yearly, he received 25 tons. The scripture equates that to be 666 talents. He had special treasures given to him by the provinces and by the kings. And God gave him well beyond any others. Yet he ended up disappointed despite his achievements. Life was one big vanity. Solomon would perhaps emphasize that the sleep of the laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. And so the understanding of our, our labor, right? We work, yes, even though we are tired at the end of the day, whether we have little or much, we eat little or we, we are able to save little, doesn't matter. But we sleep easy. But the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep well. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4. Interestingly, you know, Solomon used the word prophet. What prophet is there under the sun? What prophet a man? This prophet is attached to the things that the world pursue. Right? Solomon says that there is no profit under the sun. We brought nothing into this world and we certainly cannot bring any with us. In the end, Solomon reminded us that it will be left to others. Strangers, perhaps. I have a friend who, who has two daughters and he is, he, 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 in his career, he did very, very well. Right? President of a big conglomerate. Two daughters, both stayed overseas. And then he was telling his friend, he said, you know, at the end of the day, all my wealth goes to my son-in-laws and I don't even know them. Solomon, Solomon's teaching become very, very applicable, very relevant. It goes to people whom you do not intend for it to go. Those will be the one that end up profiting from your misery. Jesus also used the term profit, right? He says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his, his soul? Mark chapter 8, verse 36. And that is a question that we must ponder from time to time to ev well evaluate ourselves and ensure 
that we are not carried away by our quest. So, brethren, I covered the four things that Solomon spent time on, right? Pleasure, picking up the knowledge, the perspective of work, his overcommitment to work, and finally, money. I come to the end of today's sermon. Solomon had a lot of failures. But I think the failures in his personal affairs may be one of the most important contributions for us today. Solomon started right by asking God for wisdom, a discerning heart. He says, however, it is not the starting point that matters. It is the end. Right? In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8, he says, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. Like running in a race, the finishing counts. Towards the end of his life, after having straight and learned the futility of all his quests, he realized that man's duty is to fear God and keep his commandments. If he failed to do that, then we will be like him, finding out perhaps too late that all that we seek are vanity. It is like us trying to catch the wind, the air, but unable to do so, and there is no profit or benefit. Even if we have them like Solomon had, it is still, you know, does not matter to him that the enjoyment or the pleasure that comes with it will escape him. And that, brethren, I think will be what Solomon would write to us, reminding us that what he left behind for us in his three books are still relevant to us today. This morning I've covered just four aspects of Solomon's writing. The treasures of wisdom that he has left behind for us are more than these. They include instructions on life's many issues. On, in the books of uh, Proverbs especially, he had practical instruction how we can live well, on moral goodness, on prudence, on moderation, as well as God's justice. And I trust that you will continue to explore the wealth of knowledge, of wisdom that the preacher has left behind for us. And that we can continue to learn, to study, and to benefit from his mistakes. With that, I thank you for your kind attention. The song of encouragement has been chosen. Shall we all rise as we sing that song?